call that one, Pisto? That is The Entertainer. Nice. Like four bars of it anyway. Didn't Edward Nalbanian do that in his, um, like, HSC music piece? Oh, I don't know. Or Sam Marshall or something. He's a classic. Someone in the music world can Bit correct of us. Time. Uh, welcome back to Hold On Brother on Podcasting. Uh, this week we're joined by a new member who we uh, talked a bit of shit about last week. Uh, Andrew the Bland. himself. The flag. Say what's up. How you guys going? Thanks for tuning in. Um, you know, I think we're doing a cracking job. I've only just got here, but <laughs> I was at a party on the weekend and we already have some fans much to my disbelief, you know, people are already tuning in, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. People are happy it's, to listen. Um, it's like, I don't want to force, I don't want to send the link and be like, hey bro, do you want to listen to my podcast? Yeah. You know For what about I mean? 45 mm. minutes I think day. I think it's way better to hear like someone just listen to it and we, no one asks him. Mm. Like none, none of us ask him because it's like, but I don't give a shit if you do or don't listen. You know what mm. I mean? Like, like, um, well, go, in, go say what you were saying before. So I was, I was talking to someone about it today and I was saying that, you know, me and my mates are doing a podcast and they sort of, they couldn't understand why people would listen in. They sort of made the point that none of you have really done anything. You're not, you know, sports stars, movie stars. And at first I was like, oh, that's kind of true. But what I sort of started to think about was that it's more about the relatability and perspectives like we all have our different experience in things and yeah i just feel like it, you don't have to have done these mega things for people to want to listen to you and for you to you know have value well and pierce like you were saying like yeah. it's like i don't give a shit if you don't have no, to listen yeah i'm not doing this for anyone else yeah i'm yeah. just doing it because I, I like i don't think yarns with you i don't think um like i don't think the end goal of this is to get any, I mean, I do another podcast and the and Pulley's like, <laughs> oh, if we get a sponsor or something, and I'm like, dude, I just do it because it's fun, you know, yeah. and it's good to it's good to sit down and articulate your, your thoughts, and mm. then when you listen back, you notice like some of the things that you say that like I was saying like to mm. more often than than normal, definitely. yeah, than I normal as well. So this episode, if I keep saying it, like one of you can one of you just Bring slap me, <laughs> <laughs> um, and also with the comment on like podcasting and experience like you'd be surprised that certain um certain things that each of us know that maybe other people might not have considered like we were talking about stuff about the army stuff about even to do with your degree and the country and indigenous communities and urban mm. planning and obviously with you health mm. and stuff like that you've done four years yeah you've done three or four, year, years, four years as well yeah. and it's like just because with this age doesn't mean that we can't talk about things because we don't have experience like i said everyone's there's always someone that's going to have more experience than you on anything mm. so if we use that principle then no one except one person in each field should talk yeah. you know what <laughs> i mean i mean that's a drastic way of putting it but i sort of that's true i sort of really dislike the term of like experience in the sense that i just feel like it's not really it's not always quantifiable but people want you to have like you know when you're going for a job they yeah, want you like to a have resume. a yeah. certain amount of this experience but really yeah. experience is down to what you make of situations like yeah, you can definitely. gain a lot more in working somewhere in three months if you put in more so therefore you've got more experience out of that and i just think yeah it's almost like people have an aptitude for experience you mm. know what I mean? People can get way more out of a one-month internship mm. than people can get out of like, you know, a six-month course or a depl deployment. It just all depends on the person, the way you experience it. It comes mm. down to saying yes a lot of the time, I reckon. Mm. Mm. Just taking things on board and not really overthinking it and just go, let's do it. Yeah. Listening and having the ability to just be like, I'm probably going to fuck this up or yeah. I'm going to look like an idiot here, but I'm going to ask anyway or I'm just going to do this. And justify it later and sort of just, you know, try and figure it out instead of just, you know, sitting back, taking the back seat. And if anyone has a problem with that, they can come see us. <laughs> <laughs> we all take a boxing class, I'll have you know. Yeah. Nah, um, so, speaking of boxing, I oh, think you wanted to address some, um, yes. some of the shit we talked. I know that one of the most frustrating things about listening to a podcast is you can't respond to it. And that's what Jack Fox was saying to me the other day. I was... I, I didn't know what he was doing in his um his new hobby, 
and he was just screaming out. <laughs> he was, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that's a very frustrating thing. So if you want to address some of the shit that was talked about you, about you and last your shoulders. week, M- me, my shoulders, my back, <laughs> your body anything. Just hates you, my mate. body hates me. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. <laughs> nah, so I probably won't be returning to the boxing, and it is because of my shoulder. I'm currently seeing a new physio. On the recommendation of Lockie Simpson. Not sure if you're listening, but if you are, there's a little shout out. Um, and he's, we, we basically just came to the conclusion that I realistically don't have a lot of control over my shoulder. So, for instance, when I was doing chest press um, or bench press or whatever, I, I didn't have the ability to keep my shoulders on the table. And it, it was, I was always just getting injured. And that carries over into boxing. I can't, I'm not sure if you remember, but once when you were holding the pads for me, you notice that like I was coming around and I was making more of it a hook and it just was doing a lot of damage to my shoulder. So I, for those reasons, I just don't think it's logical for me to come back, even though I really do love it. Like I, I really loved boxing. You guys made the comment last week about saying maybe he might feel like he's a little bit behind and doesn't want to come back. But I don't think that's as much of an issue for me. I think with sports particularly, I don't have an ego. Like I'm sort of... I've done a lot of work with you, Pisto, and like yeah, I've sort I agree of, with that. You never want to push. Like yeah. I feel like I have to edge you on to put more yeah, weight on the yeah. bar sometimes. Like I really, I want to learn the technique and the skill before I get in there. So me, you know, if I was was able to come back to boxing, starting from level zero again wouldn't really deter me. It'd, you know, mm. it's just something that I enjoy doing anyway. Remember when we were we, me and Harry were doing the boxing, and I said to Pisto, I was like, "Dude, you've." I, I know you'd love this. You've got to do it. And you yeah. were just like, nah, man, it's just not for me. I just don't really think I'd love oh, I'd boy, like how say that. Changed. I, was, I was a bit like... Uh, Why were you hesitant? I don't Why know. I don't really... Looking back, I think I'm a little crazy for being hesitant. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything better than a boxing sesh right now. But disappointing news with the boxing. No pad work as of yet. Bit of an interesting call from Billy, but... The whole corona... This is so dumb. Like... <laughs> I was just on the train in a carriage with so many people and I was in the pub last weekend, mm. went to Vicon Park and there's so there's enough people walking around that coronavirus could spread, mm. but there's not enough people around to have like a proper night out. So I'm like, just pick one. It's so frustrating. And you have to, oh. you have to stay seated and like... It was such a muck about at the front of um, the Vic on the Park, like... I rocked up. I was in the line for probably 20 minutes. Mm. Jack, our friend, came out to try and tag me in. I was first in line. And the guy wouldn't let us in. Yeah. Like, I think... I don't know. I think you've got to have a bit of sympathy for the pubs because I heard there's some pretty big fines being slapped down on them. Mm. And they're... I mean, it's just so, like, uncertain. I, I don't even think they know what's happening. You know what I mean? They're just trying to do something so that they don't get fined. I know... I've been in pubs where it's strict all the way until you get in. And then as soon as you get in, there's 30 people lining up at the bar. Mm. And it's kind of, it just kind of seems like counterintuitive to do that. But I mean, everyone's still figuring this out. I don't, I don't I really blame I, them. I think perhaps <clears throat> we're jumping the gun a little bit. I think, you know, it's evident with the stuff that was going on down in Victoria. Like they've just mm. had a massive second yeah. surge. And that I think they had, they've had you're allowed twenty people in in a this space for mm. way longer than New South Wales. Yeah. I read that that's what the cause of their. And I think, is. I think we just all need to calm down a bit because otherwise it's all sort of going to be for nothing. Like mm. you're going to have the second spike, and then we're going to have to go hard into lockdown again. I think people still need to re- be responsible. You know, clean your hands, do whatever. If you can stay at home, stay at home. If you can hang out, have a little house party with your mates, a little sesh. Mm. You know, do that. It's. I don't think anyone will go back to if if there's a spike. I don't think anyone's going to go back to the way restrictions were at the start. Not a chance. Like no, no one's going to go back to that two person. I mean, we've already done that, and I just don't think people have the patience to go back to that. Mm. I just think. I mean, what do you think about the whole concept of there being no vaccine? Like, are you? Well, I think of the um, HIV issue where. HIV was out in the 90s and they still haven't been able to come up with a vaccine for it. Mm. And I also think that 
the biggest driver for a vaccine is how much money pharmaceutical companies can make. And there were scare campaigns and everything about HIV when it was first, the first outbreaks. Yeah. Like people cared. Yeah. Like people were horrified of it. Yeah. The pharmaceutical companies would have made a fortune. Yeah. And it never happened. So I don't yeah. like they would be thinking exactly the same thing during. Oh yeah, months. like who? Are... In saying that, it's its own beast. We could have one. We might not. Yeah. You know. And then you also have the whole issue of, great, you have a vaccine now. Get it to twenty-two million people. Yeah. Like, I just feel like, in terms of the like the progress behind a vaccine, like no one said anything except for the one time the Queensland Uni Q QU were like made a little breakthrough. Mm. But like I haven't heard anything. There's no promising news. Maybe I just well I'm it, looking in the wrong well, places. But is you have to do long term tests. Like you can't just start yeah. jabbing someone. Yeah, no, I get. Yeah. It. I get that. There's um, you know, there's like FDA approved. There's all this approval that has to go through. But surely you can jump a few steps in these times. I don't. Which I, don't I think, think they have can, a little bit yeah. though with the animal testing, right? I'm not sure if they've jumped. Steps, I think I heard this on. JR, Joe Rogan. I can't Ooh. confirm what did I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have I don't no know. idea. But so, how was your first day at work? Yeah, yeah so I started a new job today. Uh, working for um, Gibbo. Um, yeah, it was good. It was just like an induction. You just got to like learn all about the business and the industry. It's actually tell us about what you're what, doing. What is the business? Yeah, for the people uh, that don't know. No, <laughs> <laughs> just a two sentence. It's basically just like uh, medical consulting for. Um, insurers and also the little guy who's been screwed over by insurers so we actually it's kind of weird we work for like both the little guy and the big insurers and corporations so I found that pretty interesting we don't really like play sides and we just kind of connect it's a technology you know we provide connection to certain specialists and do reporting and stuff like that that's as much as I'll tell you I had to explain it to everyone and Everyone wants to know like your role as well. And I'm just like, dude, who knows? It's my first week. Like they want to... Yeah. Your role is the new guy. Yeah, I'm new guy. Like I'll get the mail. I'll get the coffees. Like I don't care. I, it's so annoying when... I don't know. I don't do this, but a lot of people do. Whenever they ask me, oh, you got a new job. They're always like, oh, what's the role? Like, what are you doing? And it's kind of like... Oh, I like business development or sales and like, oh, like, what are you doing in that? And it's, it's mm. like, dude, like, I haven't even started yet. You yeah. know what I mean? Like who knows what's going to come up? Who knows what they're going to give me? I'll just do whatever they tell me to do. But yeah, there was a, um, there was a, obviously you guys may or may not have seen, there was the humanitarian uh, degrees at university have like pretty much doubled in price mm. or, you know, the price has gone up ridiculously. Um, what are you? What are your thoughts on that? Do you have any? I don't. I don't know enough to comment. But I like, mean, I did like Pooley's point um, where the oh, people yeah. that are making these decisions went to uni for free. Yeah, yeah. So people that bit... people that went to uni for free making like making uni double in price. I think the concept of getting an arts degree, and I can speak on this personally because obviously I got I finished my arts degree. It's like so looked down upon in in today's society, Australia is one of the only Western countries in the world that has like, like a commerce degree and an economics degree Mm. and and all this different stuff. Like in America, everyone kind of does a version of arts at the start and then majors their fourth year is like an honors year, if I'm not mistaken. And they kind of major in whatever they want to do. Or if you go to like do medicine or be a lawyer, you go to med school or Mm. law school, you know what I mean? So everyone's expected to get that. And I know in England, it's the same. There's a lot of general humanitarian study mm. and there's not this kind of like snobby, oh, you did arts, like what? So how does that, how does this job relate to your arts degree? And it's like, dude, what all going to uni does is get your foot in the door for jobs and mm. show that you had to have an aptitude for learning and you can be taught and you're intelligent enough to operate mm. in that environment. Unless you're going for really specific things like, being a doctor like you are, mm. you know, it's like you can learn most things and there's this arrogance that people can only do certain jobs because they went to uni and mm. got put through this stream when in actual fact, from what I've experienced, a lot of my friends have 
got internships in, let's say they did commerce and they're doing finance and they learn what like just astronomical amounts on mm. the job com- comparatively to their uni degree. And let's be honest, how much do you really remember from your uni? You might because you're more hands-on, but mm. for people like us, like how much do you rem- really remember from your degree? Most of it is on the job learning. Mm. Like not much. I remember... I think the whole idea that you pick your degree as soon as you finish school is a really like... Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible because yeah. people don't know what they want to do. I, I remember I thought I knew I, want, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I picked town planning and I thought it would lean more towards the actual architecture and design of placing people and houses and buildings yeah. and infrastructure. But it, was a, it wasn't a lot to do with that. And I remember getting halfway... And even towards the end of my degree, just sitting there thinking, am I actually going to be doing something that I want to do? Like, is this, I'm learning a lot about like geography and just stuff that I didn't really think I'd be doing in that job. And just recently I finished some work experience um, at Lane Cove Council. And it really allowed me to sort of understand that I'd gained all this, this knowledge and the tools to to do work yeah. through uni, yeah. but it was only once I'd got in the field yeah. and I actually was able to apply and you know be exposed yeah. to that, that I actually understood the job. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And it's, it's almost like it turns on your analytic side and your aptitude for mm. learning. You, you're just better equipped to do work and understand work. That's mm. all it's showing. And I mean, there's a great article written in Sydney Morning Herald yesterday, I believe, about house a lot of the top c you'll have to look at the um the article but it was saying how so many ceos um so many people in these positions of either managerial or high up in these corporations had started with an arts degree just equip them with the right tools to you know get their career on track i know it was a bit different back in the day um you didn't an arts degree probably meant a bit more now these days everyone wants to go to uni and they've hiked the price up because everyone's doing arts, but you can't not do afford to do a degree because you're not going to get a general job that you could have back in the day. Yeah. So it's kind of like a catch-22. You're not going to get a job if you don't go, but they don't want you to go because they don't think you'll get a job. Mm-hmm. And it's like something needs to change. There needs to be a cultural shift in mm-hmm. the way businesses look at either people who finish high school and have been working all through high school. That's what I was thinking, saying to you. Yeah, the other and day. graduates. Yeah. It's, I think one thing, personally working behind a bar for like three years now, I reckon that makes you, mm. that develops your work ethic, gives you like people skills, all that stuff in those sorts of roles that you're talking about are infinitely more valuable than, I mean, not to take anything away from you, but you're not, you didn't study stuff that's going to be directly yeah exactly what you're going to be doing but I, but yeah. that's my point like there's only a fraction they shouldn't be like that no one i mean there should definitely be professions where you need to do that but mm. australia places such emphasis on like a doing degree. a finance degree mm. instead mm. of doing anything else and getting in and learning it and i understand that people who do finance they want to learn a bit more of the business side and like i, I get that they might not want to write as many essays or get as theoretical mm. But it's just like, there's just this culture of looking at humanitarian degrees as less less of because they're like, well, that doesn't lead to a job. What are you going to be? Uh, work in a museum? Oh, you got a history major. You're going to work in be a museum? Be a history teacher. Be yeah. a history teacher. It's like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. yeah. So on, on that topic, my, I've got a second cousin in England and um, we, we'd met when we were young and we, we were just over there in the holidays and we sort of bumped into each other. He's like around 23 now. And I asked him what he did at uni. And he, he said to me, he did maths and geography. And I was like, oh, he must be some sort of, te- like he wants to be a teacher or something. Mm. You know, two, a little bit different subjects, but he yeah. must want to be a teacher. But he's actually gone on to um, work in an economy. Yeah. And that sort of stuff. And it's like that, that same idea where you yeah. gra- you get that understanding for stuff. And then... Yeah. It's not like in Australia, you have the specific degree, specific yeah. outcome. And, and I think that's to do with their emphasis on not continuing. I know it was like this when my mum was growing up and I've, I know it was like this back in maybe the 80s, 90s. There wasn't this emphasis on obviously everyone going to uni in England. They were much bigger on, okay, you finish year 10, you're not going to go to uni. You don't have the aptitude for it. Trade. 
You know what I mean? But they were ha- that was a healthy culture. And obviously, London's the biggest financial hub in Europe. They have a lot of financial services being done there, like finance, insurance. It's, it's one of the biggest insurance hubs in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people that I've met through work in insurance from London all did humanitarian, sociology, history. And, it was, and it's just crazy, you know? Mm. Yeah. Bit backwards here, but... Yeah, a bit. I've got one other thing I'd like to address. We were, I was talking about it with Harry. And if you haven't picked up already by the gym stuff, I would be the world's biggest whinger, I think. <laughs> the biggest I complain- can attest to that. <laughs> I, I used to think that there was a difference between being a fussy and a picky eater. I've now decided that that's fake news. <laughs> Look, there's just a lot of food that I don't really like. <laughs> What and conversation turner? Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't understand. Self roast. I we got don't. Going here. No, the the thing is, I just don't understand why that annoys other people. Why do people think less of other people when they don't like other foods? That's actually interesting. That concept. is the point. Well, it's more like why does someone who's happy making decisions that don't affect you mm. impact you so much? And, and actually, actually, yeah, mm. I. For reference, some of the things I don't like are like Mexican food, <laughs> fucking tomato, like raw tomato. I'm not big on avocado, but like it's 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 not like I'm a I'm not like a baby. It's not like I'm just out here eating chicken nuggets. Yeah. Mm. I'll tell you, I, I love my vegetables. It's I'm eating healthy. I just don't like some foods. And even I was I was at a mate Lockie Smith's, um, and he he just said you have to be the fussiest eater I've ever met. And I wonder if that stems from me sort of half living out of home now, majorly shopping for myself for the past two years and cooking all my own meals. Like I would cook all my own meals every day of the week, every meal of the week. And maybe it's that I now control all my own meals and I don't have like, yeah, you know. Well, I think for me personally, it's probably to do with the fact that my parents are pretty strict growing up. Mm-hmm. So all I'm doing is projecting what they projected yeah. onto me, onto you. Mm. And I just think that's something we do. Like 100%. you inherit a lot of your values from, um, you know, your upbringing, your nurture. And realistically, if they were, you know, positive or negative, unless you change the negative ones, you're going to project that onto your kids and your friends. Mm-hmm. So I think... When I see that, it's because my dad got so would get so annoyed at me for doing that. Well, so I was it's, the same as you. Yeah, man. so it's I like I would get annoyed at you because it's just instilled in me, and that mm. happens to me all the time, especially with food. Because dinner time was such a big thing in my family, mm. and being really strict with food um, was a massive thing. Because my mom's a pom and she's posh, and my dad, my dad's dad was like, if you didn't finish your plate, you'd like probably get. Whacked. I don't think you know I've, what I mean. Yeah. I'm gonna put this out here. I don't think I've ever been defeated by a meal. I've always finished <laughs> everything I've been. I think what it, what it coming back to where where it comes from your parents. I think my parents have always been quite good with not um what is it called not helicopter parenting. Like yeah. they've always they've always sort of given me the options and said these are the repercussions of your choices. But ultimately, they've allowed me to make the choice. Yeah. So it's my own fault if it doesn't work out. And when I was a kid, I was a bit like I used to really like eating shit like broccoli and peas and beans. And I used to hate like baked beans or tin spaghetti. Yeah. So I think I was eating the right things. So my parents were like, you know, he's not like, well, it's yeah, he's like, fussy, but it's not. If you tell your kid like you can have your treat, which is your spaghetti and whatever, but you have to eat your vegetables. They just associate the vegetables with like, I have to eat yeah, this, yeah, so yeah, I yeah. don't want this. But like it's a negative. It's a negative thing. As soon yeah. as someone tells you to do something, you, you already, it's, there's already conflict. It's mm. already me versus you now. Yeah, like when resistance my, to it. When yeah. my dad, he will always come up and go, ah, so you're going to take the dog for a walk. And immediately I'm like, no, fuck yeah. that. I don't want to take the dog for a walk. Yeah. You wanted to take the dog for a walk. I will happily take yeah. the dog for a walk every day of the week. Like I enjoy yeah. doing that. But it's yeah. as soon as someone goes, no, you have to do this now. Yeah. You're like, no, fuck that. I don't, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't it's want a to very delicate a way to 
parenting mm. and there's a fine line between being in charge and being the disciplinary boss mm-hmm. and also teaching your kids about independence and consequences for their actions you could like yeah because you don't really want to well maybe some people do but you don't really want to mold them brick by brick into exactly what you no you want them to make their own mistakes yeah yeah exactly but and I think, not, never a mistake that they can't come back from yeah they need to have their own perspectives and experiences ah, yeah. they need to they need to figure it out for well, themselves because yeah. yeah because look they're not always going to be there and yeah exactly. you need to be able to you know have learnt from things to make new choices and i've i mean this is from a personal experience i'm not going to name any names but i know people that have maybe had that false confidence instilled in them um growing up and you know, that helicopter parenting. And then as soon as that goes away and they hit maybe 18 and they get, you know, life gets a little bit more complicated. Mm. I mean, we look back at 18 now and go, that was easy. Yeah. But, but in that moment, life's a lot more complicated. And, you know, they get hit with these issues and they don't know how to cope. They can't handle the consequences. And it's just because they haven't made any mistakes or been told that, mm. you know, what you did was actually wrong. And I think that's so such a healthy part of growing up. And I definitely look, I definitely understand that now in terms of each time you mess up, you can it's always easier for me not to do it again because I'm the type of person, if someone tells me not to do not to do something, I always think I'm smarter than them. Yeah. And I'll do it, even if it's wrong. But I'd rather that because then I'm always gonna be thinking, what if I did it my way the whole time? Where if I stuff it up. I learn from my mistakes. I'm not going to do it again. And that's what that's how I need to learn. But I think that's how, to a degree, that's how people should raise their kids in a way. But it's hard for us to say because we've never raised a kid. I'm that's sure it gets right. a lot harder. True, yeah. So if any... Uh, well, you've got to balance... You'd have to balance that like protective instinct that yeah. you have over your kid with... Yeah, exactly. And to any... Wanting um, them to develop themselves. If anyone shows this to their parents, like, I'm sorry... You're probably like these noobs yeah, idiots. <laughs> have yeah. no idea. I'm sure it all goes out the window. You could have the best philosophy plan, but each kid is different. You yeah. know, you gotta you like situations change. I understand that. So, so I'm sorry to all the <laughs> well, <laughs> whoever's just talking out of our yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Egos at the door. <laughs> yeah. So we we did go from um talking about um. Find uh, educational institutions to that. If you're wondering why that, we didn't edit that. That's just what Blandy brought up. So, yeah. Any anything else you want? I think. What about? Let's talk about a little bit of maybe your childhood, Pisto. Growing up in the country. My child. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about my childhood. Um, so I grew up probably like five minutes out of town in Mudgee. Um, good, like one acre block out of town. I can I couldn't have picked, I couldn't have asked for a better childhood. This is the, are this you is gonna have are you gonna bring us. your kid up in? The, I'm going back to the country you, next you, year. Mm, probably but are you gonna definitely. raise your kid in the city or country? Because I think there's mm. pros and cons to both. I, I agree we can with go that. through them. Um, one of the biggest things I liked about growing up in the country was that it was like. A very relaxing life, yeah. and not just yeah. not just for me, but for like the rest of my family. So, my dad would be home from work five minutes after he clocked off. Mm. Like, spent so much time with him. Yeah, we got to spend so much time with each other. Me and all my friends were always just up the road from each other, like mm. always seeing each other. It was always easy. But then, I think I got the best of both worlds in going to boarding school. Yeah, at what well, I would have been fourteen. I think, yeah, when I went to boarding school, and I did get to experience that busier side of life. And yeah, it's have al- to put myself out there a bit more. It's almost like growing up in the city, and Sydney is a big city. Mm. Develops people slightly differently to the country, not for mm. better or worse, but they're kind of. Well, first of all, I think they're a bit more street smart just from having streets. <laughs> for that analogy but it's it's such a weird one because I think to grow up in the country is like such an honest kind of life mm. and like I had no stress there's like, definitely a cor- there's yeah. a scientific correlation between being in nature and living a more stress-free life because what happens in your brain when you see you're constantly surrounded by nature 
is it goes back to the more primal instincts and a lot of our stress these days living in the city is created because we don't have the primal stress that we should have like hunter gathering Mm -hmm. surviving so we create new stress like you know just because our brain needs something so when you're out in the country it identifies with that old instinct and it brings you back down to a more baseline level Mm. so I think it's really like that's why the stress free kind of I mean obviously farmers experience a lot of stress we're not saying that we're we're saying more if you're a kid growing up we're not talking Mm. about obviously there are some really hard farmers doing it super tough out there with with some of these conditions. But in terms but, of how loud and in your face your environment is, yeah. is, that, is that what you're but talking about? But their problems are very real. It, they're in front of them. They can see, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, which does, which isn't better or worse. I'm not saying that. Or like, obviously, sadly, it leads to, you know, farmers have like a higher rate of suicide and, and stuff like that. But I, I'm just talking about for, for kids. Mm. Mm, if, I'd, yeah. I'd definitely look at, you know, moving to the country and, and raising a family there. The thing for me is I just feel like there's so much more community and just genuine mm. love. When I when I go to the country, yeah. I was just out in Moree and um, I was with a friend, a mate of ours, mum, and she was she's literally just the most lovely human I've ever met. I felt happier just being there. And it's just the connection. When, when you're in the country, because of the distances... Yeah. Whenever you see someone, it's a genuine hello. People mm. actually want to know how you are, what's going on. That's one thing I love. They like, stop to you and you they talk to you. Walk down the street in any country town, and people will smile and say hello. Yeah, everyone. But one of the things I wouldn't want happening if I raise like a family in the country is, I think being from the city makes you a lot more like worldly, especially if you get out of your northern beaches bubble or eastern suburbs bubble, and you know, you experience a bit of city life, maybe, you know, a bit of like a young corporate life. It just makes you more worldly. You meet a lot of people from a lot of situations much different to yours. Maybe people that weren't even born in your country. Mm. It's pretty rare you're going to run into that many either like immigrants or people that have um, had starkly different lives to you out in the country. I mean, obviously there are communities out there. Mm, There are communities. Yeah, like Mm. obviously... Okay, the indigenous experience in rural indigenous experience is extremely different to the white indigenous experience, mm. um, and that's that's an issue in its own. I don't think we're not going to go through that, but there's definitely pros to both sides. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I'm very glad I got the best of both worlds. Yeah, coming to Joey's was exactly those benefits that you just talked about for yeah. me. Like, I mean, the think about the variety of boys we had. In our oh, year at school, a, there was some strange. There, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the biggest mixed bag, I, bag I've ever seen. But yeah, yeah, no, that, that I think, yeah, a mix is good, but making a mix work logistically isn't, you know, feasible for everyone. You mm. know, no, not everyone can go out in the country and send their kid to a boarding school. Like, no, we no. we all get that, but mm. yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's interesting just to debate the difference in upbringing and like the pros and cons. I wouldn't even measure them in pros and cons against each other. They just both offer different things. Mm. Different. Another, another point I think is interesting is like I moved out of home last year to Wagga and it was the most affordable thing ever. I've got mates that live in Wollongong. They all have lived out of home since they were 19 and mm. it's been so much easier for them because they pay like 150 200 a week rent. Mm. Here in Sydney, I mean, we're 23. There's people much older than us that still have lived at home their whole life. I think that's another thing about Sydney. It's a lot harder as a young adult to, to get out. Mm. Mm. What about the... Like, I just... I remember I had a conversation with people who also live in Wollongong and they were just sort of saying that, you know even though there's, um, there's benefits to being in like sort of semi-rural places like that, it can also be quite damaging. A lot of people sort of surround themselves in the same sort of environments and it can become quite a bubble and quite close you in. And, the, and like, yeah, you don't want your kids to grow up in a bubble and think that life exists within the realms of either their country town mm. or the bridges that define them. And I know growing up in the eastern suburbs, I definitely would say like I'm, par- I'm partly guilty of that. There's big a, bubble. There's a, there's a big <laughs> bubble. And I mean, 
the thing about Sydney is it's such a it's such like a clicky city and by clicky I mean there's so many different migrant groups um socioeconomic um mm. you know differences between suburbs and there's a lot of almost like like community but the bad side of community I know a lot of people in the east if I didn't go to Joey's I would have just grown up surfed around here mm -hmm. married someone around here and like never really had to go over the bridge I know that sounds ridiculous to some people listening but it's actually oh, true growing yeah. up here and I'm sure it's the same <clears throat> in areas of the northern beaches in the western suburbs the north shore like everywhere you know mm -hmm. what I mean so I think if you can get the the right balance in mixing um, and I think that comes from, you know, maybe working in the city a bit or traveling around, mm. you know, just meeting, doing different activities. Even like if you joined a jujitsu gym, people are coming from everywhere. You mm. get to meet them. Yeah. That's, well, that's one thing I found when I started working at, um, Flamingo Lounge was it was the first group of people that weren't from a very similar background <laughs> to me being you know, high school kid, went to a private school. Yeah. Mm, mm. They were like backpackers from all over the world or people that were like not as well off for me. And I, it was a really big eye opener, but you know, I was, I was telling them, Oh yeah, I'm studying medicine. And they're like, why are you doing that? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. Holy shit. Like no one's ever really reacted that way to that. Yeah. But that was a big eye opener. And I think I learned a lot from I'll tell exposing you, myself to a different group of exposing people. Exposing yourself to different people at a young age is one of the healthiest things you can do, which I think maybe living on a farm and isolating, while it has many benefits, maybe uh, would be one thing that I would look to, you know, mm. you'd look to change if you're raising a family there. I know up until I joined the army, I was, you know, hanging out with this. I mean, obviously Joey's branched me out a lot more. I actually traveled over the bridge but until I joined the army, I had never met like people from Western Australia, South Australia, country Victoria. Um, and it's just, people are so different, but mm. so the same as at the same time, everyone's got that thing that you can identify with that makes you friends, even if you're from ridiculously different backgrounds, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, but at the same time, it's so good to meet those people from different ba backgrounds, like, you know, I met kids who are homeless, who like don't have the best home life or, you know, that live in farms that come from towns where there's not much going on. I know kids that what I was really surprised about is a lot of kids look at the army as something they've always wanted to do as a way to kind of escape where they're from. Mm. And they want to like get out, you know, they want to go to Brisbane. They want to go to, you know, they want to go How do people around. like that fare? They're good because they're so driven to do that, nothing's going to stop them, you know, and mm. they have a, I don't, these people don't have as worldly experience. Some of them people, I mean, in my platoon of 25, there were two of us from Sydney or three right. and two of them were from the same suburbs, seven Hills. And I was the Sydney, I was the Eastern suburbs boy. You know what I mean? Mm. Most people I met were from, um, <clears throat> Uh, country Victoria and it, how did people take that were you were you uh, it's fine because you would have got some what? stick yeah. no Prince I got some I got, Prince Harry or something I got some yeah. stick um, from storage most Prince. some most of the boys that aren't from Sydney don't really get it because they, they don't know much about Sydney it's crazy how like we think Sydney is all Australian knows mm. and we just know up the coast holiday down the coast well, a little holiday yourself, yeah. yeah but <laughs> no, you know what I mean you um, and so they don't really know, but I know my Seven Hills mate, Colleen, who's, uh, who's up in Darwin now, he always uh, paid me out. We, we were like really good friends, but he always paid me out because I was from Bronte. And it's funny that I love Sydney and he hated Sydney. And mm. so did the other boy. They hate Sydney. They, I, I was like, oh, you're going to try and get a posting in Sydney so you can, you know, and they're like, why would I want to stay in Sydney? They, mm. they don't like it. But um, yeah, they always paid me. I remember the first time he came over to my house, he was like, in front of my whole family, he's like, where's the yacht, bro? <laughs> but um, no, he's a good kid. Like, I, I, I never felt disconnected from them because we're all doing the same thing. We all look mm. the same. It we all went through the same struggle. I well, Yeah, I exactly. Well, I so it's like, if you're tough enough to get through what some tough country rural kid that has nothing got through, mm. 
you, no one's better than anyone. You know what I mean? I mean, but your respect from each other has been earned. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. If that if that hadn't been earned, then it'd be a different story. And I mean, not to mention you look the exact same. You've got a shaved head. You wear the same clothes every bring it day. Back, Harry. Everyone's got the same clothes. Mm. And I might bring back the shaved head. Bring it back. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I look ridiculous. I was, I was talking to my cousin. He's from Finland, and they have to do national service. And he was bringing up a lot of the things you said. You know, you meet just all these different people. And um, he just thought it was really positive. Do you think that is something that Australia should look at doing? You know, a, a vault like you have to do, you know, a year of national or six months national service. I think uh, people have asked me this a lot. I think a year wouldn't be that healthy for young. It's not for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think there could be some merit in doing perhaps six months. But I mean, I definitely changed as a person after a year and all my friends can attest to that. And it took a while to adjust back to going to uni and Mm, mm. everyone. I just thought everyone had it so... uh, Army people will get this. Everyone's got it so easy if you're not in the army because your life is a constant struggle and you're constantly getting roasted, Mm. crawling around the mud, you know. I think one thing that you said um, that I thought was interesting was you were like, why did I ever listen to a teacher at school? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's more like, it's it's kind of like, wow, this is the hardest thing I'll do mm. I've ever done. Everything looks piss easy compared to this. So when I came back, I was kind of looking at everyone like, you all are living in luxury. You don't know what, like, even though I'm from, like, I'm from a rich family and stuff, it was like, you don't know what it's like to sit in a a big dust pit and just, <laughs> you know, like get rained on and just stay up all night. And I was yeah. like, you don't know what that's like. But so I think it's definitely weird. It affects people differently. I, I, I don't think it's a good idea overall. Mm. I think if you want to do it, do it. Do many people get jaded? Yeah. There's a lot of jading in the, like a lot of people get jaded in the army. That's a pretty common uh, expression. Jaded just means like um, over it. You're just it's more about they will be annoyed at you because they've gone through something hard and they're like you're not taking sort of like a of chip on this. the shoulder so yeah, yeah but they're, they're, more they're annoyed at you because you're not living your life to the potential to, yeah you're because not, they've yeah. gone through something hard and you haven't so they mm. think that you should be living better than you are because of that so yeah. basically you think we're all taking the piss oh, i did <laughs> definitely i did for sure but no to answer your original question i don't think I don't think we should have national service. Mm. But I think definitely if you're the type of person that would be interested in anything that I've uh, described, you should definitely do it. It's it's a crazy experience. The only thing is like you get so wrapped up in there, you'll probably like want to continue going on. I mean, they have an 80, 80 to 90% retention rate on gap year applicants. Really? It is That's insane. Wa- but that you can do this contract where... You stay on every three months, you renew it, mm-hmm. but you can't get deployed. So what they'll do is they'll say, we'll send you overseas, it, but you got to sign a four-year ROSO, which right. means you have to stay for four years. And I know people listening are going to think it's crazy that anyone would want to go overseas, but it's everyone wants to go that, overseas. That's what you're training for. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. You don't train during the week not to play footy on the Yeah, <laughs> your whole year, uh, I mean, it's rare that people would get deployed under a year maybe someone can correct me but in my experience it was rare that anyone so a whole year of six months of that is training mm. then you're the young gun you know you're excited you want to get overseas it's not like you want to go kill someone but it's like you just want to do the the main thing the bigger pit you just want to do the big thing that everything's been leading up to everything yeah. that happens in training is so you can operate in a war zone you want to test your potential. You want yeah. to see how far and you're the just, training you're is just going to get you. You're just yeah. so keen to go. And you feel really prepared. You feel like... I mean, you, you're not like, I'm invincible, but you feel really prepared. You feel like it's your job and you know how to do your job perfectly. Mm. But um, I know a, lo- a few of my mates have been overseas, been to Iraq, Dubai, you know, all those places. And um, some of them, you know, have been promoted. And What did they do there? What was... What was their life like? I know a few of the infantry boys um, that are from Darwin went over to Iraq and they would have done more. I didn't really speak to them on what they, you know, what they did. Mm. I don't know if it was just like, it wasn't my real place to ask specific. Is that not, is that a, cause if I was in person with them and we're having a beer, 
they, I'd ask them anything. They would probably tell me. Is that because you're, you know them though? Like, yeah. because I feel like, I don't, maybe it's just a, a male thing, but I feel like whenever, like if I was to have an interaction with someone in the army, the first thing I want to ask them is tell me about deployment, you know, yeah. all yeah. that sort of stuff. But is that something that we should, you know, is that the taboo topic? I think depends how you ask it. People will get pissed off if you have, first of all, civilians and members of the defense have completely different frames of reference for things. So you asking them, how's the plot, like what you do, blah, blah, blah. They're not going to be able to answer in a way that you'd quite understand. Mm. I think the better thing to do was, would be to ask how they found the experience maybe, or, you know, if, if, like more personal, like emotive questions, mm. because they're not going to be able to convey even that. It's it's hard for them to convey um, their kind of emotions. There's a lot of jargon and common struggle, I guess, in the army that not a lot of people would understand. Mm-hmm. But I don't. It, it's person to person. You know what I mean? I've heard a lot of people say they'd talk about it. Um, I've heard a lot of people say they'd rather not. So I, I think it's person to person. I don't think it's generally rude. You just be like if you just start politely, you know, mm. like, do you mind asking like what you did? Do you mind like how, asking how they're experienced? Yeah. Was. What you did over there? Oh, I was a, you know, I was a sapper. I was an engineer. I, I, I looked out for IDs, blah, blah, blah. Oh, what was that experience like? Were you, and you know, they might go mm. into it a little bit, but mm. yeah, I just think it's like, you just got to respect how they say it, but I don't think it's rude flat out. Mm. You know, I don't think there's an answer really for that. Mm. You can ask, um, you can't ask that a show on ABC that gets asked as well, but it's it's meant to be really provocative, so people would be like, "Did you kill anyone?" And you know, that's like, yeah, it's a, that's bit, a bit much. Yeah, it's a bit yeah, much. I mean, I think everyone listening to this is a pretty logical person. They're not going to go up to, you know, any any army people, like even any of my mates, if they ever see if you know they ever meet and say, "Did you kill anyone?" Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's but not okay. I think the thing that I sort of romanticize about it is the brotherhood, and I think that came mm. from going to boarding school. And even though I was from Sydney, I was a boarder since year seven. So just living with, you know, a few hundred other boys all throughout high school, you just have that brotherhood and that connection. Mm. But you, I, you go through shit together. I think that's yeah. what really... Well, we, we, we went through shit together at, at, um, at boarding school, like some yeah. of the dorm raids. Yeah, yeah. And the, like, the, even the, just the punishment. It's more, the, I think yeah. the biggest 100%. thing that binds... They, they say this for morale as well in the army. The biggest thing that creates morale, good for morale is kind of like a collective punishment struggle. I mean, we've been pulled out of the dorms at study, right? Everyone to the brother Michael Norton. In your yeah. blues. In your, in your blues. In your blues. $20 everyone's, bearded episode. That was <laughs> everyone's got oh, Everyone's got yelled at, you know, and we get there and we leave and we're all closer as a result. It kind yeah. of works like that in the army as well. I remember being in Singleton doing some infantry training and one of the boys, unfortunately, like didn't grab his um, rifle and he had to run back to the truck and then grab it. But it was too late. They already knew that someone had left without their rifle, which is a huge deal. You don't want to leave a rifle anywhere, obviously. Mm. And um, they got, we had to get all our clothes, everything we owned into valuables and non-valuables. And we put valuables on one side of the um, parade ground and non-valuables on the other side. And we all lined up and then he just got the hose out and just went and sprayed all our non-valuables um, sheets and everything, and they oh. said by six a or six or seven a.m. tomorrow morning, we're gonna do an inspection, and everything has to be dry, clean. So, how do you dry? <laughs> how do you dry wet blankets? Oh, you, they have dryers. dryers. We oh, have, oh, right, right. but but you know what I mean. Like they leave, and you know the the boys are just like it sucks. Do you but like you kind of just love it at the same time. It's weird because like, you're all there together. The first time you definitely don't. Yeah. Mm. Okay. But the, it happened twice, the same situation. And I remember the first time everyone ran back to the things and was like drying, trying to dry their sheets. And, you know, everyone's lock has to be the exact same to a ruler measure, measurement. So everyone's working together and everyone's a bit, you know, frazzled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when it happened the second time, I remember there was no running off to do it all quickly. Everyone just kind of walked to the local canteen, <laughs> sat sat down and just like, we were like, this is yeah. life. You know what I mean? And everyone just had like a little chat and a laugh about it. It's almost like laughing at your pain, yeah, but yeah, you're collectively yeah, yeah. doing it. And then we went back and it's funny because the second time, it's crazy how 
you get way better at things like that the second time you do it. Mm. We had way less time in this instance and you know, we were we able we were able to do it so much smooth more smoothly because no one was panicking and yeah, no one was yeah. freaking out and calm is contagious. Yeah. So I mean it's stuff like that, the collective struggle I think that happens at boarding school and in the army. Say as well, um, one point from the army that you told me before that I thought was interesting was the morning routine and how over time that yeah, changed. so it, basically when you're in basic training, you get 15 minutes to make your bed every morning. So every morning when you go out into the hallway, you have to grab, rip up your bed sheets, go out into the hallway and then you number off to make sure you're all there. It's like roll call, go back into your room and then you got 15 minutes to make, you're in a room of four. So make all the beds, brush your teeth, I think shout, shave definitely and get dressed for the day. So at the start, no one, we, we hit like 25 minutes, you know, first week. Like everyone's like, this is, no one's gonna, we're not gonna be able to do this in 15 minutes. Yeah. And then I was like, this is impossible. Like, it, and then if you don't, if you fail, you get punished. So I'm like, we're just gonna be punished for, it's basic training's <laughs> 92 or 93 days. I'm like, it's gonna be 93 days of hell. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's so crazy. Like after weeks and weeks, you just get in sync and you know, you find out a system where you're both, making two people make the beds two people go shave and do all that they come back and then by the end you're hitting like you're like 13 minutes and you're just sitting in your room waiting for the 15 minutes to go up and it's actually crazy how things that you thought were just impossible and pointless and they were just trying to fuck with you Mm. can actually actually led to like being super capable doing these simple tasks but effective i reckon that's so cool yeah but yeah so uh I think we'll wrap it up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for Blenny for coming on. I think maybe next week, I'm not sure. Sh- we'll, we'll either have two out of three people here on every time. Yeah. I think next week we'll, um, let's try talk to a couple people, maybe two people get either, you know, Fox or someone mm. and we'll try and make a topic about their experience. So fuck you to whoever said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I get your point. I said that about podcasts originally. So, yeah. but yeah, we'll uh, get someone on next week and hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Up the east.